0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I am your host here as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from our studio, uh, the Business Radio X studios here in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, if this is the first time that you're listening to our fledgling podcast, we are uh, on episode 102, so it's not like we just started this thing. Uh, We're excited to, uh, you know, obviously invite a new business owner every single week into our into our studio and have a conversation with them. This podcast is put together by small business owners for small business owners, and the intent and the reason that my partner and I, Landon, and I started this podcast, and we've added other partners since, uh, is because we believe in the small business community. We believe that it truly is the backbone of the American economy, and we want them to have an opportunity or a platform to share their story and, and tell a little bit about their business. And, uh, and that's why we've started this program and we've had it going almost for two years now. And we are excited, obviously, to have a true tycoon in the, po- in the podcast with us today or in studio with us today. We've got Michael Peterson of MikePeterson.com uh, in the studio with us today, not to be confused with my father, Michael Peterson. This is uh, somebody who's much closer to my age than my own father. So, Mike, welcome to the, to the studio.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was kind of cool. When I plugged in your directions, I was 11 minutes away. So my home is 11 minutes that way.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> that's even closer than my home to to this studio. So that's uh, that's great. We we love this studio. Actually, we've uh, we've been recording here, like I said, almost two years now. May May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, 2020, is when we recorded the first episode. And uh, you know the studio hasn't changed a whole lot, but some of the technology has. And so you know, for those who are watching this on YouTube, we've got better technology than we've had uh, over the years. We've got better cameras, more cameras in the room. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that there's more of me on video. But, uh, you know, for guys like Mike, who take obviously very good care of themselves, uh, the, the women, of course, are going to be happy to be watching this, uh, this <laughs> podcast. So, Mike, before we jump into the business side of things, tell us a little bit about you personally. You know, where'd you grow up? What'd you study in school? Did you go to school? Do you have a family? Any kids?
2: Well, I'm from a very small town in Oregon called Newburgh. Um, it's actually got the second biggest dental equipment company in the world, which my mom went to there for 30 years and she passed away about three years ago. Mm-hmm. But so I'm from a little tiny town. Really, my entrepreneurial journey started at age 10. A lot of people say that, but mine truly did. I was pushing lawnmowers around my neighborhood at 10 on the weekends and charging $5 a yard. And I get about two or three yards every Saturday. And so when I look back on it now, I think, wait a minute. So that was a long time ago. We don't say, we don't say how many years ago that was, but I think inflation, okay, I made 15 bucks as a 10 year old, let's say 40-ish years ago. What would that be now? Like what if what if a kid was pushing the lawnmower down the street now and get what would that be? You're a money guy. What would that be from fifteen year fifteen dollars on a Saturday for a ten year old forty years ago? What would that be now?
1: Be about triple, a little over triple, almost four times.
2: So a ten year old boy making fifty bucks on a Saturday? Yeah,
1: fifty between fifty and sixty.
2: Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah, still not bad. Yeah. So so from there, you know, paper out and just um, I wanted to make money at a young, young age um and i was in a family where my dad passed away when i was 4 and my mom was pregnant with uh, my sister her th- her third child it was crazy i mean her my mom's stories i'm strongest woman i'll ever meet no doubt in my lifetime but um so we had it was you know there wasn't a lot of money flowing and i just i had that desire at a young young age you know to the point where in high school i worked on a farm for two summers making $1.95 an hour And saved nine hundred seven. I'll tell you the exact number: nine hundred seventy-six dollars to pay cash for my car the day I turned sixteen. And I told my mom, "I'm ready." You know, on the day of my birthday, I said, "I'm ready to get my car." She goes, "What do you mean?" And I pulled out the envelope. I go, "Well, I got nine hundred seventy-six dollars here. Let's go get the car." And I bought bought a car. So, and then just you know, it goes on and on from there. And uh, uh, state champion track athlete and um, took sports to a really really high level, Division One javelin throw at Oregon State, then almost made the Olympic Games for Canada and, and the decathlon after college. And then from there, a little fitness modeling, some infomercials for fitness. Um, it was kind of fun. Then I got into private fitness training. That was my business for a while that I trained male CEOs in their homes. Hmm. They would be your ideal client, but that was a long time ago.
1: Yeah. Um, well, that, or maybe I would be your ideal client. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, no, it was it was really neat because these guys were one guy had just sold this company for $75 million and I'm driving out to his $5 million home. And I was this young, you know, fitness model, you know, cocky probably a little bit and a knock on that door and they just, I didn't blink at those guys and they loved it. Yeah. They loved it. You know, I didn't bow down to them and I said, you need me more than I need you. And I was charging a lot of money to these guys. And then from there I launched the world's first golf fitness membership website back in 2001. So I met a gentleman who had the first, online fitness membership site. Now there's a million of them. Yep. He had the first. He was 23 years old back then and he was doing 2.7 million a year revenue yeah. tw- at 23. Yeah. And I met him and he said, well, what, what are your passions? I said, fitness and golf. He goes, well, there you go. And so I launched it and um, took it to seven figures in just over two years by myself. So that was, you know, I was doing content marketing, video marketing, lead generation, It was crazy. I built a website that was ranked number one in the world for like, if you typed in golf tips, golf training, golf fitness, it was ranked number one in the world. So that built up all my chops for digital marketing, right? Because I was in the trenches doing it. Yeah. And then in 08, the market crashed and that business crashed because most of my customers were the semi-retired to retired guys who saw their retirements get cut in half. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So sales plummeted. I had two young kids and an at-home wife at the time. That was very stressful. And then so as an entrepreneur, I pivoted and kind of opened this boutique digital marketing agency and got kind of pigeonholed in dentistry for a while. And had a lot of dental clients. And we were doing, you know, SEO, web design, all of you know, Google ads, Facebook ads, content, all of that. And then um at when COVID hit, I decided to make another big pivot again and just go right into consulting, working with small business owners and just consult with them. And kind of I, I kind of pivoted out of the agency model. So, now I'm consulting with some growth-minded small business owners.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, tell us what that means, you know, really. I mean, you you consider yourself a, a revenue growth specialist, right? So, I mean, people can put the words together, revenue growth. I mean, th- the reality is most, if not all, businesses are trying to grow revenue. But tell us what a revenue growth specialist really does and why somebody would be interested in in your services.
2: Well, it's more about strategy. You know, I think, I think, Every business owner out there has been sold Facebook marketing. They've been sold Google ads. They've been sold search engine optimization. So they've been sold tactics. And, you know, they go to maybe a convention and they walk around the booths and they see an SEO guy and a web person and all those things. And they, they, start, doing, they start jumping around from tactic to tactic. And what happens is, is there's no strategy there. And the strategy is like the backbone to your business. If you don't have strategy, you're really you're going to fumble forever. Right. So it's almost when I work with clients, I have to get them to take a step back, like for, forget all that tactical stuff from it. we got to step back. You know, what's your position in the marketplace? Who's your ideal demographic? What's the buyer journey? What's the what's the customer experience? Show me what that uh, do customers from the first touch point to the final touch point. Are they just thrilled with your service or product? Right. And a lot of unfortunately, a lot of business owners don't know to do that. They've been sold, you know, for marketing people, um, the tactics. So it's it's kind of re-educating them to, to back up a little bit and start looking more at strategy. So that's that's where I come in and really kind of rotor rooter everything, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. That that actually r- reminds me of the conversation we had right before we sat down to start recording where you where you brought up a past guest of ours mentioning random acts of marketing. I love that phrase. And, and I mean, I when I heard that, I, I had the same thought. I thought, my goodness, I've how in the world? Yeah, how, how have we not thought of it that way before? But the reality is that's what most business owners do, right? And Landon and I are business owners. Our other partners on the program, Ryan and Gary, are also business owners. We've all done it, right? Every business owner out there has done it. But um, before we go down that road, I, I kind of want to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about what year was the golf fitness? What, what year did that it launch?
2: It launched in 2001 and then dissolved in 2008. The remnants of it though, and, and uh, I'm so glad I kept it. So it's like proof I had it. Yeah. I, I still today, I think I have one of the top YouTube golf channels on YouTube still today. I haven't put out a video for 12 years, but if you type to my name on YouTube, you'd see it. It's got 5 million combined views, 4 million. Views. So I, I really became very, very good at video marketing and yeah. video optimization on YouTube. And, you know, I've, I've gotten clients from one video. I had one dentist that landed $80,000 in porcelain veneer cases within two weeks of launching a video that I scripted and shot for him. So, yeah. And he sent me a text message. He said, I don't want you to get a big head, but <laughs> your, your $1,000 video has made me $80,000 in the last two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it really just to see. And even today, video is not used near enough and it's not used correctly. It's used completely wrong.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's actually what I was trying to, to drill down to is one, 2001 is very early for YouTube and video marketing period. And when you mentioned that, that was the first thought that came to my mind was, well, wait a minute. I know from our pre-call that that mm-hmm. was a while ago. So I, I want to know, you know, how that got started and how you got involved there and, and what that's ultimately done for you. But you're right today. It's kind of a buzzword, right? People realize video is a big deal even LinkedIn is starting to realize, gosh, you know, we need to have more videos on the platform. And so they're opening it up and they want people to start using video on their platform. It's still, I would, maybe we're not in the early adopter stage, but we're still, we're just barely past that early adopter stage. So there's way more runway to grow on video marketing, but let's start there. I mean, (laughs) what made you think video was the direction to go back then?
2: You know, golf, And even fitness is very visual. You know, you can't, when you're, when you're, when you're a trainer, like if I was talking on here and said, here's how to do a bicep curl, stand up, do this, do this, do that. Well, that's kind of hard, right? But if you watch me do it, you're like, oh, his elbows are going here. His hands are going there. You know, he's got, you know, muscles are flexing, whatever. It's the visual of the video is much more, you can absorb it much quicker and better. It's more high fidelity. Yeah. So, um, and mine was a combination of golf fitness and also some technique. Cause I was really rabid golfer. So I was learning every, the biomechanics of the golf swing. Yeah. So I learned every joint, how it should move in the golf swing all the way through. So I kind of, I combined the two of them, which made me, uh, and we'll talk about this later in the show, but a big thing with businesses is called market dominating position. That's a key phrase that everybody should understand. Yeah. Well, I created a market dominating position right there with those videos. Nobody was doing it. Nobody was showing golf fitness and mechanics all in one video. So I literally tied it all together in one video, so when somebody came to me to a video, they would get a fitness exercise, but they'd also get some swing technique stuff, all in one. Yeah. And, and I, I really didn't know, oh, that's this revelating thing. It just was what I did. And then from there, I turned that video, um, I embedded it on a content page. And so, you know, Marcus Sheridan, you know Marcus Sheridan, yeah, right? we're, we're, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're very good acquaintances, and we chat back and forth, and he's been preaching content marketing forever. Well, back then I was doing content marketing before they called it that, right? Um, 2001, there's nobody really, it wasn't labeled that, yeah. right? And so the web pages I created, I just, I felt like, and it's, it's how I feel about with my clients now. I wanted to provide the utmost of value for free all the time. Yeah. And so I created a web page that was 2000 words long, five to seven still pictures, and two embedded videos. That's how I ranked number one in the world, right? Because mm. Google would crawl that page. And that one page was the equivalent of some people's websites,
1: yeah. right?
2: That one page. And it was just keyword loaded and, and with the videos embedded and the pictures. Imbe- and I optimized all the, the, the pictures I optimized for SEO back then, right? I titled them all. So, I, you know, SEO was a big thing for me back then because I, was, I built it up to 35,000 unique visitors a month to that website. 30,000. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. So it was a a beast of a website. So I'm really a believer in, to this day, 20 years later, content marketing, video marketing, value, educate your ideal prospect for free. Yeah. Give them, because they'll turn to you as the trusted advisor. Right. And if you don't give, if you say, no, 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 I'm charging for that, I'm charging for this, they're going to see right through that. And there's no authenticity there. You're not being genuine. The more value you can provide for free up front, they're going to go with you. Period. No, I
1: agree with you 100%. I think it's hard specifically for those in the advice industry, right, to feel that it's okay to give away some of the advice that people <clears> pay me for, right? I'm in the advice industry to to give it away for free, but you're absolutely correct, right? I mean, you give away basic information for free then when they know that they need something more complex, they come to you as that person that they're seeking advice from.
2: Well, and here's the thing, and I don't know if you experienced this, but, you know, st- studies show only 1% to 3% are ready to buy now. That's study, you can Google that, right? So yeah. that's 97% that if they came to a website, let's say, and they left, they're gone forever, yeah. right? Well, you need to capture them, and then you need to take them along the buyer's journey, right? And that buyer's journey starts at step one, two, three, four, purchase right? And each one of those phases is different pieces of content that's value laden, right? So it's like, and then you, so you have to really break down the buyer persona to a point of like, what's going on in their mind. They hit the website, right? They're maybe looking around for something. They leave the website. Well, you need to understand what was going on in their brain. And it's not, it's not, you're not reading their mind because you go out and interview people. You interview your customers. What made you decide to go with us? Right. So yep. when you do that, you become very powerful in your industry.
1: No, I, I agree. And there are a few people that are starting to figure it out. I think, you know, <laughs> Landon and I do a fairly good job because of the podcast. We've been doing this for a while and, and we put some other videos out. We're actually, you know, for those of you who are sitting there waiting, thinking, when is Austin going to put another video out? It's coming. We just, we just kind of finished our brand strategy and we're getting ready to roll out, you know, quite a bit more in terms of video and blogs. You need and, some help? You know, Let me know. Yeah, no, we're ha- more than we, happy to. We will more than likely have that conversation. Yeah. Literally, this was yesterday where we kind of got the deliverables on our brand strategy and, and you know, where do we go from here and, and what do we do from here. But it's something that is top of mind for me, something that I know that we've got a successful business. I would say, you know, we're here, but this is something that can take us here if we if we do it the right way, right? And so it it's definitely something that I would consider us late early adopters, but we're now figuring out, okay, how do we really capitalize on this? And, and what do we do to help grow our business from here?
2: Well, I would assume in the finance, I've got a couple of business partners that are in the financial industry and I've helped them a little bit. And I know all about the compliance and all that stuff, right? Yep. You've got, it's just like, wow. like. Yep. But at the same time, you can still get creative with the words you put on your website, yep. in your marketing pieces, and make them more emotional. People, we all know this, and, but I have to say this over and over and over again. Everybody makes decisions based on emotions. Yep. So you state the problem. What's their biggest problem? And that's front and center, whether that, that's a marketing piece, that's on your website, whatever it is. What's their biggest problem? You, you provide some education, some value, saying you can solve this problem, right? And they choose you. It's just a very simple equation, right? But a lot, I would say 90% of businesses of all sizes are failing. Yeah. They're failing and they're spending so much money on marketing that they don't have to spend. If they, if they tighten their message and got everything more dialed in. And again, let's go back to strategy for a minute. If they had their strategy correct, they wouldn't have to spend 20,000 a month on Facebook ads, 30,000 a month on Google Ads, right? They're spending all this money and they don't own those platforms. You don't own those platforms, right? So you're spending all that money giving it to somebody else, making them richer. Well, so in the moment, you're getting that lead. But what's that doing in the end for you, right? As opposed to if you build out your own platform with value, and and I I call it like my golf site. That was an authority website. Authority, right? Like Google, when they crawled it, they were like, this is... This is number one. Yep. And, and the reason why, the content I added on a regular basis. So they were seeing, cons- Google was seeing consistent content. Um, I was embedding YouTube videos, which Google owns YouTube. Yep. So they kind of like that, seeing that code in there. Right. right? Of That's course. A, no no <laughs> SEO will tell you that gives you a bump. It has to. Come yeah. on. Yep. Come on. I, I mean, Google would never say that, but uh, it, it probably does. But so I, I know in the financial industry, you can get creative with your words yep. and you can do it within a compliance standpoint. And most financial websites are horrible. Yep. They are horrible. They're, they're just so stone cold. No personality, no brand, no nothing. Yep. So if you guys with your new brand thing, I don't know what it looks like, but hopefully you just got, you crushed it with your new brand. So I'm, I'm excited to see it.
1: Yeah. I think we're, I think we're going to get there. And, you know, we know that our website isn't great. We we know that our, we believe that our website is better than a very large percentage of financial professionals websites, but it's still not great. And so, you know, the content's decent. Our homepage is awful. And so okay. we we know that we need to upgrade that and change that right away. Cause I mean, you're gonna tell me and any any marketing person worth their weight would tell me that the first page of my website, the very top half hero needs to tell them exactly why they're there and what we do on our, you know, in our business. It doesn't do that.
2: Well, again, state the problem. What what keeps them up at night? Yep. What's the problem? That should be your headline. Yep. It's it's not, a lot of times they people get a little bit mixed up. They'll say benefit, 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 right? Yep. And that's fine. It's better than feature. A benefit's better than a feature. But yep. what's even better than a benefit? Emotion. Yep. So emotion is like, so your ideal client, what keeps them up at night? That's your headline. Yeah. Right there. And then the sub headline is the engage part. That's the solution. And it doesn't say "uh, choose us." It's more of a of a benefit laden kind of a not even a sell. It's just more of a value laden statement that positions you guys as the solution without saying you're the solution. Yeah, because you don't want to be selling. Yep. you want to be providing value. So yep. anyway.
1: yeah, yeah, de- <laughs> definitely some uh, some food for thought and some things that you know have been top of mind for us, and we're we're working on that. But the the funny thing is, I have to mention is. We have a. We actually have a six-part video series on our website and our YouTube channel called "What Keeps You Up at Night." I love it <laughs> so I had to mention that because you said that. So it. Uh, That's And, and it was just you know basic educational information, right? With no selling. No selling. Yep. And then we did something similar, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what we called it, but we, I basically put out another, I want to say it was a six-part series at the beginning of COVID to basically actionable, actionable strategies for- I love the word action For COVID-19. So we, you know- we did some things right for a while and then we got really busy with the podcast and other things and we got away from it. So now we've got to kind of bring it back in. We're outsourcing and hiring and doing the things that we need to to, to kind of bring that back around. So That's
2: awesome. Yeah.
1: So all right, I have to hit, I have to hit one more thing on this golf fitness thing because I I think it's worth mentioning. So 2001 for those who are golf fans, let's think back to kind of where we were in golf, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Tiger Woods won the Masters, if I'm not mistaken, for the first time in 1997.
2: 97. I owe, I owe him a Christmas card for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, because sure. there was definitely the was something perfect. there, right? The timing is huge yep. because Tiger Woods was the first golfer that we ever saw that you could see definition in his arms and didn't have, golf. you know, yeah, he he definitely brought fitness to golf and showed, even though he's, he's struggled physically throughout the years. But imagine what it would have been like if his swing had been as violent as it is without without the the physical structure structure that he has. Right.
2: Yeah, no, that it was, it was perfect timing. And and, you know, here's another funny thing about Tiger Woods. His third U S amateur win was 10 minutes from the house I lived in, in pumpkin Ridge, pumpkin Ridge, Oregon, the uh, pumpkin Ridge golf club was where, and I went and watched all four rounds and my then wife, and she'll say this to this day. I came back every day, going, "This Tiger Woods, watch this guy." And it was before he's pro, right? It was his yeah. third U.S. amateur. But yeah. I had never seen anything like this. I mean, I stood, I, I, I got goosebumps. I stood behind him on every shot. Yeah. And and he was skinny back then. He was, he he, he yeah. hadn't lifted right. He was probably 6'1", 160, 155. Yeah. And what he did on the golf course, even back then, every day I came back to, him and I said, "Watch this guy." this guy is wow. Yeah. So there's another little trivia with Tiger I was there for a third U.S. amateur win. It was very cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's, he's something else. I mean, I, I remember the first time mm-hmm. I saw him in person was at the Memorial tournament in, outside of Columbus, Ohio. And it's, you know, it's Jack Nicklaus's tournament. And he, he was starting to kind of make that charge where people were like, gosh, he's going to break the record. And he's, you know, he's going to have more wins. He's going to do this more majors, all that kind of stuff. But I remember distinctly standing at around the, you know, at the ropes of a tee box. You know, with Tiger, you have to go ahead like two or three holes to be able to even get close, right? And so we went ahead a couple of holes and I just stood there at the rope waiting for him to show up at the tee box and thinking to myself, man, that guy is just ripped. Like you're not used to seeing that. And, you know, he's wearing a, he's wearing a polo shirt and you can kind of start to see the six pack underneath there and, his arms. And, and it was just, it was so abnormal for a golfer to see it. And, and he was just, he was this towering guy playing a, a sport that was known for not having to be well, really, really super in shape. It was, his,
2: it. It. it was his athleticism too, though. You know I yeah. mean? You could just see it. I mean, this guy, you know, a lot of times in, in, you know, years, like when I was in high school, the golfers were what? Not the real athletic guys, right? Yeah, they right. weren't right. It made fun of what skinny guys, whatever tiger comes along just the way he walked and he carried himself and then he's working out and people's like, who the heck is this guy? And his shoulders were just, Yep. that's what I liked about it. Yep. I was like, Ooh, look at this guy, right? Yep. Cause I'm a fitness guy. Yep. So I saw the shoulders and I was like, okay, all right, this guy's, this guy's got something. It was pretty cool. Very yep. cool. Yeah. No fun, fun to watch. And,
1: and he's, he is responsible for the guys that are out there playing today. I mean, there's no oh. doubt about it. All the, all these guys, you know, prize money. Oh yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. But I mean, I'm, I even think of, so. I've got a son who's 22. Oh, nice! And he played golf all through high school. Also played baseball. He was an athletic kid. Played every sport growing up except for soccer. That lasted a few games. And he's like, did this he isn't track for me? Track two? He did not. Okay, no. Okay, okay, so okay, I, okay.
2: sorry, I should have. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying I'm going to lick my chops if you say track, because we'll be talking track the rest of this time.
1: Yeah, I, I should have been careful about that, because you know. I discount track as one of those.
2: Oh, be careful. Now. Be one, careful. Of the,
1: one of the big sports. I apologize, oh, yeah. but nah. it's definitely an Olympic sport and, uh, and you've got to be athletic. But yeah, no, he, baseball, football, basketball, yeah. you know, and then golf where were, he grew up playing all of them and was a good athlete at all of them. But baseball, he liked it because of this and golf, the same thing, but he also struggled with golf
2: because yeah. of this. So right? much mental. It's so much mental yeah well, the,
1: the, moment you, the moment you make a mistake is where he had he had the problem of not being able to move on to the next shot, mm-hmm. right You think of Kobe Bryant, you think of Tiger Woods, you think of LeBron James, you think of Steph Curry, you know these guys who can miss seven shots in a row in basketball and still believe that they will make the next shot, right and that's the same thing as in, in, in golf, right? I mean, you have an errant T shot. You've got to believe that you're going to be on the green with that next shot, no matter how far off the fairway you are. And that's that's, so true. that's what he's got in spades compared to everybody else. In, in addition to the physical talent. All right. So we've gotten kind of way off track here. <laughs> so let's kind of bring it back to, to what you do on a daily basis. So maybe actually, you know what, before we do that, let's take a quick break here. Word from our, from, uh, you know, for our audience, call to action for our audience. And then we'll come back and talk about, you know, kind of an ideal client for you. Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. We're here with Mike Peterson, and we've been kind of all over the board today. We've talked about uh, a lot of of different topics, which are very interesting because, Mike, your background is, is very interesting um, and it's kind of led you to where you are today, which, you know, I think is phenomenal to think about somebody who was doing video marketing in, in the year 2001. And you've still got people who don't understand that that's a big thing today is is phenomenal in and of itself. So I appreciate you, you know, working with me as we kind of work through you that and, and talk through that. So let's get to where we are today. So the the consulting that you're doing today, tell us kind of what that looks like, right? I mean, You've got a business, so I mean, you can use our business if you want as a, as an example, or or use a client without obviously sharing names. I would assume that you have what What does the engagement typically look like? What do you see that is their pain point, and why exactly is it that they're hiring you?
2: Yeah, I typically work on a twelve month engagement um, with clients because you know a lot of times. Uh, you can't turn things around in a month or two. you know, this is not how it works. Um, it, again, I don't for me, I don't lock any client into a contract because I don't like the feeling of that. So they can leave whenever they want. but I want to set the expectation like hey, when you work when we work together, it's 12 months. And that 12 month looks very, very, it's very laid out, very I mean you can visually see it. Um, I use software that's just really incredible software and that software can lay out all the strategies that that we decide on for 12, 12 months. And it's basically about one strategy per month. And I basically oversee the implementation of it. I don't do the implementation. I oversee it. So I'm, I hate the word coach because every go on go on LinkedIn, everybody's a coach. <laughs> yeah. I, you, and I'm an athlete, right? So yeah. I should like the word coach, but I don't like that everybody and their dog says they're a coach now. Yeah. But in a way, that's what it is, you know, advisor, coach, consultant. And a big part of it is business owners, they wear a lot of hats, depending on the size of the company, right? And and so they're overwhelmed. And a lot of them feel alone. I mean, really. And, you know, a lot of times I'll work with men and, you know, we're taught to suck it up, you know, suck it up, you know, and just deal with it, you know, and, yep. and you know, and then you talk about suicide rates and all you get crazy numbers, right? So it's very, very tough when I talk to some, some of these CEOs and business owners because there's a lot of stress. I can see it the minute we talk on the phone and then the minute we do a Zoom call, I can see it in their face. And then, then I want to find out the reason why you doing all this. What's the reason behind all this? You know, and I dig in. I want to know the like the real personal reason why not. Oh, well, this or that. No, keep going, keep going, keep going, and I push it because I want them to verbally say what's their biggest reason why, because that's really you know, Simon Sinek, right? Yep. What's your why? Yep, I, that's a great book, by the way. Yeah. Um, but so I want to find out what their why is, and then from there, you know, what's your what's your one-year goal, three-year goal, five-year goal, right? And a lot of them don't even look that far. They're in survival mode or they're just month to month to month, you yeah. know, paying, pay, barely paying payroll and, you know, and trying to support their families and or both spouses are working in the business, you know, 50 hours, 60 hours a week. So you got to find out what what's your goal. Is it an exit? Is it a, you're in growth mode or in startup mode? So each one of those takes a different approach, obviously, right? Yep. Pretty, pr- pretty, pretty standard there. But, um, and then from there, I do kind of an audit of, of, what does your buyer journey look like? What's your buyer persona look like? What's your customer experience look like? Because those three right there, those three are the key to the kingdom. Yep. If you don't know your buyer and you don't know the journey of that buyer and you don't, and the customer experience hasn't really been thought out from touch point one to completed whatever it is, right? Those three things are the key to the kingdom. And I think a lot of companies overlook it. They overlook it. You know, they'll get a marketing person coming and they might get a, Whoever, a CMO come in and whatever, but they, they don't really dig in deep to those three things buyer persona, buyer journey, customer experience, those three things. Because if you know those, you can wrap all your marketing messages around that. You can come up with your market dominating position from that. Yep. So know your customer. In, and that's uh, when, when I say know your customer, there's a gentleman. Do you know Jay Abraham? Or are they doing the name Jay Abraham? Because I'm going to. I know wh- the name, I'm wh- just wh- not wh- placing. Are we the same age or I think I'm probably a lot older than you?
1: I was born in 1976. I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> okay. Well, you're still not as old as my dad, I'm
2: guessing. Watch it now. Watch it now. But uh no, Jay Abraham. If you don't know that name, Google it and go buy his book. Okay. It's it's from 20, 30 years ago. And it's just it's he's a guru. He's a guru. He's one and he talks about the strategy of preeminence. Remember that. So hopefully somebody's taking notes here. Yeah. Go Google that strategy of preeminence. It's know your customers better than they know themselves. Right? Yep. And, and how do you do that? You interview them. You survey them. You gather as much information about them as you can so that you literally know more than they know. Yep. And then when you know that, everything falls, falls into place. Your marketing messages, how you position yourself in the marketplace, how do you differentiate, how do you... Once you do that, now you have a kind of a stronghold on the market, whether it's a local market, regional, national, whatever it is. But you know, when I go to a lot of websites and I'll go to websites of big companies, you can tell they're wasting millions of dollars on marketing and advertising when they really didn't have to, if they had a clear message. Right. And I think a lot of people now, the smaller businesses don't have millions, but even, you know, $5,000 a month budget, $10,000, $20,000 a month budget for marketing and advertising for some of these businesses may seem to be like a lot, right? Yep. And really, in theory, it's not. Well, 20 or 30 might be a fair bit. Five or 10 shouldn't be too much for anybody, really. But when you think of that, you think, okay, well, what if we straightened all this mess out first? Don't spend another dime. Do not spend another dime on marketing advertising. And all the marketing people listening to this is going to be like, well, well wait a minute. But, <laughs> but I firmly believe that. Stop yeah. spending the money. Let's take a step back and get all the trash out. Get the strategy set up. Then down the road, we can implement tactics, which is what market a lot of the marketing is as tactics, right? Yep. So you clean all the junk out. Once you clean the junk out, what do we got? Now what do we have to work with? Then from there, you plot it out month to month to month. And that's kind of what I do. Yep. And I do it in a very, very, not a hand-holding way. We're all full-grown adults here. So I do pick and choose a lot of time who I work with because if they don't have a growth mindset and they don't have that kind of I'll-do-whatever-it-takes attitude, that's probably not a good fit for me. I've been called a pit bull before. I don't know if, if that, I'll take it as a compliment, but um, and I've had clients who say, you're like a pit bull. But, you know, that's, that's who I really mesh with. Yeah. Right. And so I think a lot of people, they say they want to grow, but when you start really talking to them, they're like, well, they don't. Yeah. They don't. So I really dig in deep before they bring me on because I want to know it's a good fit. Yeah. Because you, you have to, the personalities have to fit. And I'm a pretty type A alpha. So, you know, that's who I mesh mesh with the best. So that growth mindset, that I'll do whatever it takes mindset, that's got to be in place from day one. Because there's going to be a lot that's on them or their team. You know, I'll have a weekly call with my client, typically the business owner CEO. We'll look at the strategy and I'll say, what happened this week? Yeah. Oh, too busy. Didn't do that. Okay, well, okay, we'll, we'll push it to next week. And then if it happens two or three times in a row, then we have a, a pretty serious talk. You know, I mean, I yeah. take the reins and I'm like, okay, this doesn't seem to be important to you. And then I've walked away within a month of an engagement from clients. I've walked away. Yeah. Because I just didn't, I didn't see the effort. And they, you know, I mean, I get it. Things happen. You know, you're putting fires out all the time. You're wearing 20 or 30 hats. But if two or three weeks go by and you're in about the same spot as when we started, that's a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, it's definitely a red flag, right? Because, you know, you, you said they, they don't, have that growth mindset and or they don't really want to grow. And I, I, you know, I would say that maybe they do really want to grow, but they're not willing to do what it takes. There you go. And that and that's the big difference is I think every business owner wants to grow their business, but are they willing to do what it takes to actually make it happen? Right. Right. And that's that's the thing is you've sometimes you got to take big risks, whether it's monetary or otherwise, to actually make that happen. I mean, it's the classic risk versus reward, right? And my wife and I were watching a TV show last night where there was a woman buying a really nice apartment in L.A. And she was talking to her boyfriend or husband about, I took the big risk and, you know, the, re- the big rewards paying off. And I, you know, I'm this is I'm able to reap this reward. And, and it's true. Like, that's the thing is our country rewards taking risk. You can also go the other direction, right? I mean, if you if you make wrong decisions along the way, or you take that big risk, and you maybe potentially got a big loss too, but you're not going to have that big reward if you're not willing to take that big risk.
2: Yeah, back when I launched the golf site, we'll go back there again. Um, my then then wife, uh, we're no longer married, but uh, my then wife said, "This is risky. I don't know about this." And I said, "No, I got I got to do this. I got yeah. to do this." And she now even today says. I'm so glad you did that <laughs> yeah. because, you know, I dove in and again, you want to talk about do whatever it takes back in 2001, there was no WordPress. There was no smartphones. There was nothing. Yeah. I hired a videographer and we shot 225 exercise videos, 225. And it took me six months to upload them into this HTML website, this raw website. I was up, I worked probably 20 to 22 hours a day for about six months. Yeah. And my then wife was like, you know, you're killing yourself. What are you doing? I got, I got to get done. I got to get done. I got to get done. I got done. And when I got it done and launched within months, it was a six figure business just because I had done all that work. You know, I, yeah. I followed my partner who had, had the membership site for fitness. He kind of guided me. So he's, he takes credit, uh, Chad, Chad, but I did all the work and yeah. that's kind of what I talk about with my clients. You know, I'm there for you and I'm going to set strategy and we're going to, I'm going to hold you accountable and, but implementation has got to happen if it doesn't happen, results aren't going to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I think the big thing that, that I take away from that, so the, the marketing tactics and the strategies and, you know, the, the approach, the coaching along the way, obviously that's extremely important and that's what you do. That's why you get hired to do that. But I think the, the big takeaway that I would have for a general audience listening to this is that it's okay to not say yes to every potential client, right? I mean, we, we had that conversation this morning and and i just i gave it an example that we've had in the last month where this protect, potential client for us had already met with four other advisors and they just wanted an answer to one question what kind of rate of return can you get for me oh. and i said i said mm. and i and that was the first few minutes of the of the meeting and i said <laughs> if that's what you're going to measure us by and that's all you care about we're probably not the right fit. I said, if you want to talk further about this, this, or this, and why this is important, then there's a reason for us to continue this conversation. But if that's all you're concerned about, we're probably not the right fit for you. You've already met with four other advisors. He was going to be you know, generating a significant amount of money from selling his business. And I said, there are going to be advisors that are willing to trip over themselves to manage those investments for you. If that's all you're looking for, we're not the firm for you.
2: See, that's so powerful. And Oof. and
1: he just sat there. He was dumbfounded for a minute, but it gave him an opportunity to, to rethink things and say, you know what? I do want to continue the conversation. Let's see where this goes. And now it's completely flipped to where he's reaching out to our practice manager saying, I'm not sure if they want to work with me, but here's my information. Here's, you know, and and it's. But it's it's important. You have to have that buy-in from the client. Right. And I, I think, you know, all too often early on, you kind of almost have to work with anybody because you're trying True. to generate revenue, right? But most business owners and businesses don't get away from that. Right. And realize that they're going to be more successful as a business if they're willing to say no to certain clients and find better fits and more profitable clients as, as time goes on.
2: Well, you know, um, this goes back to like when I was training those male CEOs in their homes. You know, these were alphas, all of them, right? Really yeah. successful men. And um, they they don't like being told no. Yeah. You know, successful people. And you basically told that person no in a way. You say, well, I don't think this, this is going to be a good fit. Yeah. That's shocking to people like that. And that's what you did to him. So yeah. there's a little psychology in there, right? And not that you did that intentionally. You did it from a genuine, authentic viewpoint. Yeah. But he took it like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't get that very often, right? And so you re- you gain instant respect with that that gentleman. Instant yeah. respect, and that's you know, I do that a lot because I do get a lot of clients that'll say things like, well, "How fast do I get? Can I get results? What's the ROI? You know, like within month one or two? Yep, that's pretty tough. That's yeah. that's pretty tough. You know, I, I, and that's why I kind of talk about twelve month engagements, right? But everything's monitored every month, so you know the calls that I have with clients and the progress, if implementation's happening. I can virtually, I don't want to use the word guarantee, but I can virtually say if the implementation of the strategies I'm presenting to them are happening, the revenues are going to, they're going to go up. They're they're going to go up for sure. And the ROI is going to be built in. It's going to be built in, but it's just most of the time, unfortunately, most business owners don't implement. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. And then they, they, they turn to the marketing guy or the marketing person that, oh, I'll do some Facebook for you. I'll do this, that. It's 5000 a month. And they do that for six months and not much happens. And they go, well, I just spent 30000 What happened? Yeah. Right. So they, they got sold a bill of goods from a marketer. Yeah. Right. Which is, I've, I've heard that story a million times, which is horrible. Yeah. Just horrible.
1: Yeah. It's, un, it's unfortunate. All right. So let's go back to kind of something you said at the very beginning and let's give something away for free. All right. So, from an educational standpoint for our audience, that somebody's listening, what do you tell them when they say, "What should I focus on to grow my business"?
2: Well, I, I think for sure that you you've got to look at where you're at. You know what? You know it's so funny when you think of asking, like, you know, finding what the the what keeps your client and customer up at night. Well, you got to ask yourself that question, right? And think, what's the main issue here? You know, is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it customer service whatever it may be you've got to fix that first that's got, if that's you're putting band-aids on things if you don't yep. so you re- and that could be a talk with whether it's a spouse whether it's your employees whether you know your c-suite whoever it may be you have to you have to take a step back and look at what the main issue is first and see w- how deep that goes once you find that main issue and you can start working on that then you've got a foundation to to move forward with it that would be what i would say i, I would say to start off with
1: yeah And I I would even add to that and say one of the things that you said earlier was it would probably be the next step, and that's identifying who your ideal client is and what it is that you guys do to solve their issues of what keeps them up at night or whatever that, you know, may be. But what is it that makes you guys unique and who is it that you solve that problem for?
2: Right. Well, and that goes back to that phrase, market dominating position. And I I like that phrase. It's a very... Aggressive phrase, which fits me, market-dominating position, right? (laughs) Dominate. You know, some people don't like that. But, you know, in in business, there's a lot of people that say, I like that word. That's a good word, right? So that's that market-dominating position of you have to dig deep on, you know, you can't. I've had hours and hours of discussion with a new client on trying to come up with something like that. And people say, what's the difference between a USP, unique selling proposition, and market-domin- it's, there's a big difference. USP is something that's kind of alongside your business that maybe sets you apart from the, another business. A market dominating position is something that literally you're, you're finding the biggest pain of your potential client, the biggest pain, and you, you're providing a solution around that pain that's, that's easily state, stated in a, in a six-word, eight-word statement. And the cool thing about that is when you get that, you teach all your employees that same, and it's more than an elevator pitch. It's yep. way more than that, right? It's way more powerful. And so it takes, it's taken me sometimes two to three months with a client for market-dominated, it's like six, eight weeks to get that, right? Yeah. To, to dig in deep. But when you get it and you transfer that to your employees, you, so let's say you have a company of 20 employees. You have now 20 salespeople out yep. Every single day. And if they're happy, which I believe in employee happiness, because what's happened with employee happiness in the last couple of years, yeah. what's that called? <laughs> the great resignation. Yeah, exactly. Bye bye. See ya. Yep. Right. People, people are, they're done. They want that work life balance and they want to feel like that they, they, they mean something to the company. Yep. And I think uh, employers now, now with COVID, I mean, remote, which is a beautiful thing. I've been remote. I've worked for myself. I've never had an office. So yeah. I'm very, very lucky. But, um, but so people are now experiencing what I've experienced for 30 plus years working for myself and yep. I'd have it no other way. Now the power is shifting to more the employee, not the employer. Right. And that's why a lot of employers are having a hard time finding help, yep. finding workers. Right. Yep. Cause people are like, you know what? No, I'm not, I see your list of responsibilities here and your pay is X and you want me to come to the office two days a week. I'm not doing that. And so I love seeing that because I just feel like that's that dynamic has taken the power from the employer to the employee.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's definitely a shift, right? And from the employer side, they're going to have to be very poignant or very, you know, honed in on culture going forward. And flexible. Right. Yeah. They and flexible. flexible. Yeah. Yep. But they're going to, you know, they they have to know, gosh, you know, Building a a great culture is never easy. No. But it's way easier when you're all within the same four walls, right? And now all of a sudden you've got, you know, I've got a good friend actually that's been on this show uh, with us that has never had employees inside of, you know, an office with their their company. And I think they've got employees in 26 states right now. Wow. Right? And so they've been virtual before virtual was cool, so to speak. And they've done a pretty darn good job. They, he'll tell you they could always do better, but they've done a pretty darn good job of building a great culture, even though they're, the spread employees out. are spread out all over the place.
2: That's impressive. Yeah. That's good. So, I mean,
1: it, it's, it's got to change. It's a, it's a difference. It's good. It's bad. There's, you know, I, I don't know exactly where we go from here, to be honest with you. I think that the virtual, or excuse me, the hybrid setup is brought, is here to stay. Oh, for sure. Right. Yep. And I don't, you know. I don't know if a lot of companies are are going to stay 100 virtual. If they'll go to hybrid, mm. or if they'll you know they'll go all the way back. But definitely hybrid is is here to stay for sure.
2: I would agree with that. Yeah.
1: All right. So last question for you here. Then we're we're wrapping up. We're coming up against the end of time.
2: Dang may, it! <laughs> dang it! I want to talk. I, I want to talk. It more. always
1: it always runs out. <laughs> but you talked about it earlier, and and this is a trap that a lot of business owners kind of fall into is. They're looking for that immediate ROI or they're looking for that immediate lead source, right? That comes from their marketing engine, if you will. So how do you get them past that, that frame of mind so that they really understand how to capture market share long term, not yeah. just today, but long term.
2: That's a great question. Well, I think number one, I don't want to sound very I don't want to sound like a smart bleep. uh, I'd say the full thing if I could, but I won't. But but you, you have to ask yourself, how's it working so far? Right, whatever the approach is, how's it working? If it's not working too well, then you got to change it, right? So, I mean, when you think of the the ROI and you think of marketing tactics, and well, we're running Facebook ads, we're spending ten thousand a month. We got Google ads, we got all these things going. I mean, you, if it's not working, you have to change it. The definition of insanity is what? Keep doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. Well, you got to change it. So, it's 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 finding it's it's like what Abraham said: this the strategy of preeminence. It's finding somebody that you can trust that you can work together with when again, it's not a pitch for me, but, you know, consultant or somebody that you really, you've gotten to know, um, almost to the point where I was, I was talking to one of my peers over in Australia, a really successful consultant, amazing guy. And he said that most of his clients that he's had for years, they go out for drinks once in a while. They've played golf together. They've done a, you know, they've not become friends. They haven't crossed the line but that the relationship is so strong that, that, you know, 10 consultants could come in and try to scoop that client up and he'd They're say, go away. Yep. So it really is finding somebody that, that really has an overall strategy in place that can really explain to, to the business owner, listen, what you're doing now isn't working. Here's why. Facebook ads, this, that, whatever, whatever that thing is. And say, come back to What's your market dominant position? What's, do you know your buyer persona? Do you know your, the buyer journey? Do you know the, the customer experience? It goes back to, I, I'm going to keep going back to that because if you don't go back to that, you don't have a business because you're not speaking to your ideal prospect and yeah. they're not having an experience. I always said, say this to a client too, which is for every new client or customer you get for your business, should turn into minimum one more, which is called a referral. Yep. So always, and think about that that's doubling your revenue. That is doubling your, so if you do a million a year, theoretically, what should that be? Yep. Two million a year, Yep. like that, and that should be nothing, right? One referral from every happy customer or client, that's incredible, but it's it's nailing down the customer experience, which takes a little bit of time, and that's where those business owners go, no, 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 Facebook, Google, whatever it may be, no, no, backup, and that's why I say the phrase, take a step back, yep. look at the bigger picture and then move forward again, right? And you do it strategically month after month after month.
1: Yeah, no, it's, you've got to have that strategy. You got to know who your client is, and then you've got to have the message to solve their concerns. I mean, it's, it's really, it, you know, that oversimplifies it, but that's really that's what it. it is, right?
2: That's it. I mean, I mean, you know, it's sometimes simplicity is better, right? Yeah. You know, because I think a lot of people think that things are supposed to be, something that's worthwhile should be hard. That's not necessarily the, tr- the truth, right? I mean, some things are like, you know, fitness, for instance, you know, I train a client with back in the day, you know, that's not fun. You know, they're, they're going from sedentary lifestyle to all of a sudden I'm saying, I'm going to meet you three days a week and here on the off days, you're going to do this and you're going to eat like this. And I'm like, Oh my God, what? Yeah. You know, but, but at the same point, it's how bad do you want it? Yep. And then that goes back to one of my favorite words of all time, desire. If you do not have desire, you can have a very difficult time. And that desire goes into desiring your spouse or your partner, desiring to be a better person, desire to grow your business. That word should be implanted in everything you do, right? Desire. Because right. that desire turns into hunger, turns into consistency, turns into passion. So desire to me is a really, really big word. Yeah. Got
1: to have the desire first before the action comes into play, right?
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, let's leave it at that. Why don't you give it, why don't you just uh, close us out with how people can get in contact with you? How do they find you on LinkedIn or what's your website or phone number, or whatever you'd like to,
0: to share?
2: Um, you know what I want to do? I want to give, I co-wrote a book. Okay. And, and this book has 10 strategies in it. Super, super simple book for free. So they can go to yourbusinessgrowthpartner.com, www.yourbusinessgrowthpartner.com. Okay. Name and email address, get the book for free, 70 pages. If they put just any one of those strategies in place, they're gonna find money in their business that they didn't have before without spending a dime. Great. No money. So so implement those strategies. If you don't, maybe we can talk, work together. But other than that, get go get that book for free at that website. LinkedIn, just I think there's a lot of Michael Peterson spell with my name <laughs> on LinkedIn because I've had people say, I can't find you. Yeah. But just Michael Peterson, P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N on LinkedIn and I'd love to connect with anybody on LinkedIn I'm on there mm, half an hour to an hour every day so if anybody wants to reach out and connect with with me there I would do it
1: great well we really appreciate the conversation I've picked up some nuggets I I feel your passion right across the table (laughs) and uh, and obviously know that this is something that not only are you passionate about but you have the skills to back it up and so we appreciate you being on the show with
2: us today thank you so much
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners.